Hey guys, thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Naturalist Capitalist. We're getting pretty close to 200 episodes. This is 196. I thank you all for the continued subscriptions, viewership, and support. It's been great. Um, by the way, just in case uh, people are new, I am on audio platforms as well. I'm on uh, Spotify, Podcasts, and a few other places. Uh, you can find that in the links in the description go follow me there but anyway tonight i've got on a friend that i've had for about a year and a half now i met him when i moved out to utah newt lindsley how you doing tonight man hey doing well reed always a pleasure to chat with you um i'm really grateful to have some time with you on uh, on the naturalist capitalist yeah man um so i met you I don't know, in August of 2020, I think it was, in Salt Lake City when Spike Cohen came through in the 2020 campaign. And uh, then I started getting involved with the Utah Libertarian Party more recently over the last several months, mostly with you. But uh, you've got a kind of interesting story. You, you were, you've been involved in this long before most people even knew what it was, before the Ron Paul days, before gary johnson before the word libertarian hit the mainstream consciousness at all uh but just tell us about what that was like uh, living in washington before libertarianism was you know even a common concept what what was that like in the in the old days yeah you know it, it, uh, my introduction to libertarianism i grew up and you know my dad used to go knock doors for republicans and so we always had a very uh, an very activist oriented household and i watched politics as much as probably the next kid and uh, just thought what's going on here with uh, you know every, here everyone complaining about taxes intrusive government you hear ronald reagan give his great talks about you know get government out of the way let the people handle things and then over time as i started to pay more attention i actually started to volunteer at a radio station uh, in Salt Lake City. I lived in Salt Lake long uh, before I moved to uh, Seattle. And I started you know, volunteering for this radio station. And after about a month and a half, I, I got a, they offered me a show. So I started doing these shows Saturday morning, five o'clock in the morning, you know, get in at the ground level. And I heard another host say something I thought was brilliant. He said, I always invite people on who are smarter than me. And I thought, okay, I've always liked self-deprecating humor. I love Monty Python and all that kind of stuff. So, okay, I get it. I'll, I'll, I, will, I will seek out people who are smarter than me to teach me about politics and whatnot. And I always, I think most people in, in, that I've talked to all across the spectrum are, at least to some extent, a small L libertarian. And, and, and we'll get a little bit more of that a little bit later on. But so I started doing this show and uh, eventually it worked up to i worked up to having uh, an evening drive time talk show on uh, this radio station it was called k talk k talk radio is the second talk station in america and the uh, the first talk radio station in the region so i'm interviewing everyone i have on orrin hatch senator hatch i have on people and I'm, I'm asking a lot of questions from the independent sort of perspective i always consider myself independent and finally, one day I had on uh, Joe Bookman and Rob Latham, 
uh, I had on Jim Dexter and these guys, I didn't know what the Libertarian Party was, that's who they were with, and they came on and just obliterated to, uh, how Ronald Reagan made these wonderful conversation pieces, these great rhetoric uh, speeches about getting the government out of the way and then spending went through the roof namely military spending. Thank you, Scott Horton, for uh, if, if anyone wants to get enlightened as to uh, the degree to that happening, uh, Scott Horton's a great resource for that. Absolutely. And so at the end of this interview with Jim Dexter, who was the chair of the Libertarian Party at the time, he said, so do you believe in the initiation of force? Oh, gosh, the, the, the NAP. Uh, sorry, is that going to get this episode like strict? Is it going to hurt this episode to say the NAP? Um, so, so Jim Dexter says, Hey, uh, you know, if, if you don't believe in using force or violence to get your way, then you're a libertarian. And he had a little piece of paper and I was like, yeah, I agree. I signed it and he said, okay, you're a libertarian. And that, and that sort of put me into that camp. And so ever since, and this is in the uh, late nineties, uh, 90, 98, I think it was. So from then on, uh, I just said, uh, whatever I can do, I will lend uh, uh, as much as I think the government is intruding into my life, I'm going to invest a similar amount of energy back to push that away, to, to end that. Right. Of course, um, anyone who's ever spent any time with the libertarian movement knows that that means different things to different people. We were able to, we've been able to, from my perspective, we've been able to get a lot of our libertarian candidates into uh, it, on the debate stage. And for me, though, those are probably the biggest, actually, no, that's not true. The, the bigger victories came when I moved to Utah in 2009. Uh, we had a few big campaigns that the Libertarian Party helped, what I would say were instrumental in passing. One of them was the medicinal cannabis, uh, getting that passed here in Utah. And then also there was a, there was a tax increase, including a tax increase on groceries from the Republicans here in Utah. And so that, that was in order to get uh, an initiative passed, you have to get a certain number of signatures in every county in state. And so we were a, a big part of getting our members all across the state to step up, go out to their local grocery store, their pharmacies, down the corner of the freeway or wherever they were legally able to stand and get enough signatures to to pass medicinal cannabis and then uh, also to to help get to the point where the Republicans saw there was enough pushback. And so they they stopped that initiative to raise the taxes, uh, raise about five or six taxes. So so, you know, when when you. A, a lot of a lot of the frustration that I feel from people who get involved with the Libertarian Party or the Libertarian movement uh, is very specifically about putting a candidate on the ballot. Most commonly, the most frustrating thing I hear is people get frustrated that they helped the candidate, they fought really hard for the candidate, and then the candidate didn't do that well. They didn't get a great, you know, they got 5% of the vote or or they got a small percentage. And so they get frustrated uh, and, and, and they walk away. And it's understandable. And I think it's because as, uh, as, as many people have pointed out, you have, We've we've set our sights really high on on getting that presidential candidate, on getting someone, you know, putting throwing that that football through the small hole at the end of the field, and 
and it turns out that the most success, the biggest successes um, that you can consistently have are when you get your people to step up on a local level. Um, we had last year at convention, actually the past couple of years at convention, we've had many of the Utah elected libertarians who have taken police off of marijuana citations. Um, we've, we have had at least half a dozen tax increases at a local city level that we have uh, been able to fight off. Um, and it's a number of things, even even pushing to sell the the military vehicle for the unified police here in Salt Lake City. I mean, there's a there's a lot of things that we've been able to do by getting those libertarians into the small local seats. Um, I think the reason I wanted to start off with that, I really kind of there's a lot of things I would love to talk with you about. And and uh, but I want to actually get the politics out of the way first. Uh, and so uh, and so I, I get a lot of frustration and, and you know. I mean, you and I are both, uh, we actually first met on Twitter and uh, before we met at the event for Spike and we were talking about our support for Tulsi Gabbard, our support for, uh, you know, ver various and sundry uh, politicians. And one of the things that I thought was most interesting was that you, you get a lot of pushback anytime you deviate from the core of a certain position. And right. I think you and I both felt like we were, we were really coming from the, the unity spirit of, of political activism. And, and yeah, it's it, the truth of the matter is that, you know, they say, they say when people are criticizing bad politicians and there's plenty to criticize, they say that a, a broken clock is right twice a day. So, the difference is with with the vast majority of libertarians I talk with, the opposite is true. And so, if you want to take a look at, for example, Dave Smith, you know, you could say he's 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 right about so many things, but like maybe one or two things he's he's, you know, I'd love to chat with him about. But that to me is the beauty of this movement is that Dave Smith says, if you disagree with me on immigration, let's have a debate, let's have a talk about it. And and which is to me the most refreshing and the most exhilarating thing to have people who are who are stepping up to uh, to have that conversation, and um, it, it is in that spirit I think that the next the next couple of years hold the most promise. Um, I know that last I believe it was last year at some point you had entered you talked about joining the Mises Caucus and a lot of people are doing that because. Uh, and in fact, some of the Mises caucus came to the convention last year and were elected in as executive committee. It was very peaceful. Utah did it right. We had a lot of uh, uh, Mises. Uh, there were over, I think there were like 25 people at the convention and we uh, elected a lot of Mises caucus folks to the to the party very peacefully. And they've been working very hard to build the party. But the, the thing I love about that is their spirit of we need to focus on being realistic to really focus on these local races has has benefited the party because a lot of people have been joining thanks to these different caucuses getting people excited about joining a lot of people really want to see uh they really want to have input on who the presidential candidate is next uh, presidential election in 2024 right and it's it's quite easy folks if you want to be uh, able to help pick that person out, then there are a couple steps. You join the national party, 
and it wouldn't hurt to join your local party because your local state party is where the convention is, where the delegates are selected to go. Now, right now, 2022 is the year for any of you out there who are really wanting to get involved in the 2024 process because the number of delegates, and, and, and I sh I, maybe I shouldn't be telling this because you're going to New Hampshire, but maybe <laughs> it's a good time for a contest. But yeah. the number of delegates that New Hampshire gets, the number of delegates that Utah gets are based upon the number of people who join the national party from that state. So if you wanna have your state have a influence on selecting who that libertarian presidential candidate, and believe me people, you can go off on the history of lame duck previous candidates that the Libertarian Party has had. I, I get it. You, you, I, I, I see the critiques. I can argue for and against all of those candidates. But 2024 isn't going to be a lame duck Libertarian candidate. It's going to be a knockdown, drag out fight. It's going to be huge. And there are a few head front runners that uh, are, are sort of a, uh, in the lead right now. But honestly, if you really want to have an influence, uh, you can't be a shrinking violet. You've got to join the, your state party and join your national party and show up. Look at look at that's your state's website. Look at your state's social media. Look at how active it is. If you are in Idaho or yeah, you know, Montana or wherever, if you live in your state and, and you're happy with uh, with one part of the the Libertarian Party's activism, then help in another area. Maybe make phone calls, maybe do, uh, you know, if you're good at talking to people, go to the, the booth that they have at whatever their events are. But honestly, that's how that's how if you want to have an influence. Um, and, I, and, and no, I don't just assume that the entire audience is Libertarian. I get it. But, uh, you know, Mostly, yeah. it's, I'm, I'm just I'm just laying the groundwork. I'm giving I'm telling I'm you know saying the silent part out loud so people can like plant that seed in their head. If you really want to have an impact in the 2024 choice, 2022 is when you start, because if you want to be on that board, if you want to be at the state convention early 24, 2024, and you want the people there around you to to go along, you you how to win friends and influence people you've got to you got to use your your skills to to reach out and and build those those coalitions and build those groups and uh and and that that's how you do it i'm, I'm giving the there's the dakota ring for the 2024 presidential candidate there we go so speaking of uh 2022 uh since we're getting politics out of the way first um you know in utah we have a very good republican senator mike lee um and i know you were talking to me i don't know a month ago or so about the possibility of having him run in the republican party and on the libertarian line as well so that there isn't a third party candidate running against him trying to split the votes uh has there been any headway on that and would you just explain how that works to everybody yeah so one of the things you know if you believe in freedom of association just to get that out of the way, if you believe in freedom of association, then you believe that a political party can endorse a candidate from any party. Now, of course, uh, in, in many states, Republicans, Democrats, uh, like in New York, for example, Larry Sharp is an example of of, of this. In, in many states, you are able to run as a multi-party candidate and get the endorsement from 
the Green Party and the Libertarian Party and, and a few different a few different ones. The tricky part is that a lot of the state, uh, the, a lot of the states have it in their uh, the, like the, the legislature, the, the government, the, the, not the not the Libertarian Party of Utah, but the 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 par the government in Utah has a policy against split party candidates, uh, and so one of the things that was some people have talked about, and there's a lot of buzz about this on social media, to uh, to do exactly that, to say the Libertarian Party, what if we got behind uh, Mike Lee and and if the state tries to crack down on us endorsing uh, Mike Lee, then we'll just, you know, we'll have to maybe fight it in court. But uh, again, it, it falls under that freedom of association. So it, it's both if the party and, and the state uh, would go along with it. Now, here's the thing. You know, Evan McMullen is, is throwing his hat in the ring and he is uh, running against uh, Mike Lee. And, and of course, some would argue that for the libertarians to run a candidate against Mike Lee, that it would hurt Mike Lee against Evan McMullen. And that's one of the reasons that this idea has been put forth. There, there is some, uh, there's some logic to that. Um, at the same time, it, there is some belief that if the libertarians ran a candidate, they could focus on Evan McMullen's positions and say, and, and take the independent votes away from Evan McMullen. So really, this is quite a strategic, um, you know, 3D chess operation going on. So so who knows how this is actually going to play out? But that but, but yeah, that is, that is something that people have considered. And, um, you know, yeah, so if you have someone run and they try to steal votes from the left, but also make Mike Lee wary that, wow, I really have to. Uh, you know, be as libertarian. I, I shouldn't be ashamed of running on libertarian positions. Like you can steal from the left and make Mike Lee better at the same time. So there's a bunch of different ways to approach that is what you're saying. Yeah. Well, and, and so far I've been, I've been trying to look at Evan McMullen's, uh, um, you know, website and his, and so far the only thing I've seen from Evan McMullen is hi, vote for me. I'm not Mike Lee, you know, and, and Rand Paul has the same kind of threat against him. You know, it's like, hi, I'm not Mike Lee run against, you know, vote for me. Right. And of course, there's a lot of money in in running against uh, whoever. But, you know, to be honest with you, I think I think we've got to very seriously consider that. Would it make more sense to have uh, to split the independent vote, knowing that the you know, the Republicans are most likely going to support Mike Lee and that. Right. Uh, yeah. So again, this is this is all interesting strategic stuff, and and this is and this is the kind of stuff that we're going to be talking about at the at the upcoming events, uh, you know, for the that we're having here in the state of Utah that libertarians are going to be talking about. It's another reason to get signed up uh, to to come to these events and help us strategize. Um, you know, there, yeah, there are some yeah. kind of interesting things coming down the pike. Uh, some I can't really talk about just yet, but you know, there there's a lot of opportunity. Um, there's a lot of opportunity uh, coming coming next. Yeah, so let's talk about that. We've got the uh, the micro. What 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 would you, what did you call it? The mini micro convention. The the, the, the massive it? micro convention. That's it. Yeah, the and, massive um, micro convention. <laughs> and, and you know, honestly, anytime, any chance that you get where you can break bread with Scott Horton is a good day. And uh, we are offering if you go to 
the link that'll be the link in the description, folks. If you go to that link, you can sign up for two events. Uh, one is on the 25th of February, which is a dinner with Scott Horton. And then you also on the 26th, uh, we're going to have an event in um, Spring Hills Suites, which is in uh, Draper, I believe. And so, yeah, you can you can have two events with Scott Horton, two events for the price of, well, I guess for two. Yeah. So what's going to be going on at that event other than Scott Horton speaking? So I've been talking with uh, some of the the Utah group uh, Defend the Guard, uh, which is something that every libertarian I know is really excited about. It is something that has grown um, quite a bit, and I'm happy to see a Utah chapter taking hold. So uh, that's going to be one of the one of the aspects that we're going to be talking about. Um, I don't know if you've seen this, but in the past uh, couple weeks, and actually the past 48 hours, there's been a massive push on um, a new a, a new legislation by McCall. I think it's McCallum. McCollum uh, is a Utah senator, and he's trying to pass an, a bill which will. He's actually a senator in the Utah uh, legislature, and he is trying to pass a bill to have school choice. And so we have had a lot of discussions and a lot of uh, people reaching out to their representatives to let them know that they support this. Um, this is a great example of being able to start breaking down the cathedral, as Michael Malice would say, try to smash that cathedral a little bit or, or break down the wall so we can access the treasury, our treasury of our tax dollars that have been going into uh, this establishment. Because right now, education, there is a there is a serious monopoly on our education dollars, and that needs to change. We need to start having access. Um, a lot of people are concerned. They say that our schools are underfunded. They say that we are struggling to to educate our children. But you know, we just keep throwing more and more money at education, and 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 kids are still graduating illiterate. Kids are graduating with all kinds of issues, and you know, there isn't there isn't a there should not be a stranglehold. There shouldn't be this narrow bottleneck of uh, options, especially for poor families. This this legislation would allow poor families and me middle class families to have a significant amount of change that they could then put into a uh, homeschooling system. They could put it into a, uh, a charter school, and it would allow that deviation from the from the government schools, which is is entirely where the best competition happens in the market. People who have Pell Grants, they can go to any university. People who get food stamps or WIC, they, they're not subject to go get government cheese. And so we have to teach a lesson. Uh, it, it, more important than teaching a lesson is we have to free our dollars from going to these administrative heavy institutions. I, I call it the shielded bureaucracy because there's this enormous bureaucracy that's protected by state and federal legislatures, which as try as we might, we haven't been able to crack those shells. And with the help of uh, Corey DeAngelis and a lot of school choice uh, advocates, uh, we are we're going to push this through. We're going to make this happen. So, so something I like about you is you seem to be in tune with the current zeitgeist. Like you, you understand what's going to attract people. You understand what 
has kind of gone the way of the dodo as far as marketing goes. And that probably has a lot to do with being involved in filming and, you know, all the stuff you've done over the years. Uh, but we talked a bit about great ideas for the Libertarian Party to try to become more relevant instead of messaging that's just going to fall dead on people's ears. And instead of advertising in some back alleyway where no one's going to see us, we were talking about, uh, you know, putting signs right on the highway that just say, end the grocery tax in Utah. Uh, but w what bold ideas do you think would really uh, get us down the road at this point that we haven't been employing? No, you're right. Um, messaging has been the Achilles heel for the Libertarian Party uh, on and off. Now, now and then someone's going to come up with some incredible, um, you know, you, 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 a lot of people are very rightfully critical of a, a lot of the posts that the National Party has done in the past. They've actually come around a lot and they've had they've had a lot of uh, messaging that's been very powerful. Uh, but, uh, you know, um, yeah, messaging has been an issue. Uh, just let me give a bad example, and then we'll get on to some good examples of opportunities that we have. Um, there was a guy in Seattle, actually in uh, Puyallup, uh, there was a festival that was going on, and he was running for state legislature. And people were coming up. We had this booth. Uh, you know, People were coming by wanting to meet the candidate, really excited. Hey, I get to meet this candidate and, and, and shake their hand. Uh, what, what are your positions? What do you stand for? Now, this guy is running for state legislature okay um state legislature and the first thing he says to these people is we need to get the united states out of the united nations <laughs> and so you're at this libertarian booth you know this washington state libertarian booth and you're running for office and you're telling these people that the your most important thing is to get the united states out of the united nations and you're going to go to olympia where you're going to deal with education and and you know liquor licenses right. and all that stuff it's like you don't have a clue so one of the things that libertarians need to understand is know what it is that you're running for have some idea what the topical issues are that people are interested in and none of us are perfect but you know there are so many resources for uh there are so many resources for libertarians to to be in touch with and to stay on top of what's going on so that embarrassing moment aside, um, there are a lot of opportunities that uh, we've actually started to engage in, uh, which one of them is with these blip billboards, these billboards where you can pay for a segment. We have been posting uh, these billboards, eliminate the income tax. Uh, there's a number of things that we've been putting on there. And I can't tell you how uh, exciting it is when someone texts you or calls you and says, hey, I saw your libertarian billboard. I'm excited. How can I donate to that cause? And 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 yeah, there 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 are a few opportunities. I've been trying to look at a a more permanent location for a billboard along uh, our one of our main uh, thoroughfares. And the reason for that is if it's quite clear that we're getting a good return on investment for these billboard ads that we've been doing actually better return than Facebook ads or other social media ads. And so that is the reason that it, it makes sense for us to look at maybe a more permanent location along one of these, uh, uh, you know, along the freeway where we can have a more permanent electronic billboard that we can change based upon the topical issues that are going on. And actually, again, that's a gimme for any other state party, any state party, 
you know, that's something you can do. Uh, if you if billboards are allowed in, in a region in your state, especially if there's a main area, it would be really uh, it's it's quite um, quite impactful. The return on investment we've got, and I'm happy to show people some of those numbers. But yeah, it's 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 the kind of thing as well. We also want to have we're starting to have more events like this event with Scott Horton, and each time we have one of those events, people can come and participate and. We've had people signing up for monthly donations to the party, and we're able to use those donations to pay for more marketing, to pay for candidate uh, filing fees where applicable. And 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 again, I think we, that's where we hear a lot of the best ideas about what the next billboard should be. What are people interested in? And obviously, um, there, there's a lot going on and, and, and a lot of opportunity uh, uh, in front of us. Yeah. Um, so now that we have most of the politics aside, I wanted to talk about, um, you know, people don't seem to understand that the left and the right are going to fluctuate as far as their um, adjacency to libertarianism goes through time, like through the decades. So, uh, you know, in the early 2000s, the left was probably generally a lot closer to us. I mean, there were the anti-war conservatives who existed. It's not like they didn't. Just like now, there are anti-mandate left-wingers who exist. There's just not as many of them. But people want to, you know, they, they remember a time when one side was easier to ally with, and then they just like it to stay that way. They don't want to admit that it can fluctuate. But what's that been like for you since you've actually been in this movement for you know, a, a while now, how, how have you seen the left and right kind of move in and out of being close to us? And uh, you're someone who, you know, like you said, you voted for Tulsi Gabbard, you were a Ron Paul supporter, like you, you're not, um, you don't have this derangement to either side that so many people have, it seems like so many people either want to ally with just the right or just the left. You're the type of guy who says, "Hey, if I agree with you on something, I'm going to go with it." So, what's that's been? What's that been like over the last couple of decades? Seeing that kind of flow in and out. Well, you know, one of the things, Reed, that I uh, I like about you and like about your show is you're kind of like the spike protein of the libertarian movement, <laughs> and I I kind of feel a similar way in that I I come across in my conversations I'm I'm the kind of guy who I I'm I. Unlike Michael Malice, I'm sort of the opposite of that. I'm not a blocker. I, I'm someone who, if I find someone I disagree with, I'm more likely to have a long thread conversation with them to try and find out where we are adjacent. And a large number of the people who I am connected with on social media are, I, for me, I look at it like this. They're soaking in libertarian brine because they'll post something about you know, from their left position, and uh, and I'm going to come up and, and say, yeah, you know, libertarians agree with you. We don't think that corporations should be getting all of this money. We shouldn't be having all this pork spending going to these corporations. And and they're like, oh yeah, that's right. The libertarians agree with us on that. And and you know, there's obviously you're going to get your people who are just hell bent on sticking with their closed-minded. You know, it's, it's like they have this equation in their brain that was taught to them at school. 
and or college or wherever wherever that came from. It's like they have this equation in their brain and everything they filter through goes through this mechanism of, you know, it's a class war, uh, white privilege, you know, whatever the case may be. And by the by the time you get through all of this, some there is an uh, there is some semblance of that person's true feeling that's coming out. People let's let's just go right to socialism communism if we're gonna start on the spectrum. People have who who support communism those people have those the swat the, not the swastika you know the sickle hammer and sickle on their uh, you know their page like what are they what are they typically talking about like usually especially if they're fresh to that area they're talking about concern for the workers they're talking about concern for the environment they're talking about concern for these these things and then of course that atrophies into just anti-rich um and you've got you, you've got people who are just completely opposed to anything that will benefit a, a, an individual. Elon Musk is the devil. Right. And so for me, the I, I kind of look at it like, you know, tofu takes on the flavor of that which you cook it with. So if you cook it with pork, you cook it with this, you cook it with that, it kind of takes on that flavor. For me, I take that self-deprecating humor that I talked about earlier. And by the way, you got to keep humor. If you don't have humor in your life, you're you're gonna you just get rabies. It's terrible. Absolutely, humor in your life. But I I, I sort of I, I take that self-deprecating element of myself, and I and I say, okay, I'm gonna put my principles. I'm gonna put those on pause for a moment. I'm gonna try and hear this person out and see where they're coming from. And then, how do you apply a free market solution to the problem that they're talking about? And so often it comes down to something as simple as saying, yeah, you're right. We should not be siphoning billions of dollars out of our community and giving it to the war machine. You're right. And and in that process, they're gonna come back and again, they're gonna see that you're, you're coming from a place of agreement. By the way, again, the book that libertarians need to read is How to Win Friends and Influence People. And, and people don't care what you think until they think that you care. And, and really, it, that's that's the trick. So when you come across uh, neocons, when you come across people across the whole spectrum, the idea is have some a little bit of humility to to engage with that person and find find that middle ground. And usually, I, 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 ninety nine percent of the time, that middle ground, the solution is a free market one that will allow for ending the corruption that's happening. So that's that's the, that's my advice. Just be consistent. You don't it it, it doesn't help to in, from from what the, the game that I'm playing. It doesn't help to come up and, and just be hostile and block people. Um, so so you won't really find that for me. You'll just find those conversations that that get people going. And I got to say, I have I've lost followers who thought I was, you know, agreeing with the left, uh, agreeing with people on the left. And or, um, you know, like I talk about, you know, vaccines and and I talk about, you know, alternative medicines and early treatment. And I don't talk about vaccines like, oh, they're entirely evil. I talk about them like, why aren't we allowing, you know, why isn't the AstraZeneca one allowed in this? Why isn't there competition in the, in the thing? Uh, recently, I was posting about, you know, there's a in Toronto, there's a university in Toronto that has developed a plant based vaccine. Mm -hmm. And why don't we have that? You know, why are we why are we focusing on this one trick was this narrow, anemic response to to COVID it just doesn't make any sense. 
So yeah, that, that's that's my that's my perspective on talking to people from the left and the right. You know, we have find that common ground. I love the, how Dave Smith does that. He's like, you know, uh, I think he's quoting Frederick Douglass. You know, I'll, I'll I'll work with I'll work with anyone who's working for good, and I won't work with anyone who's working for bad. You know, and that's that's the the, the heart and soul of the unity movement. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and it's so funny that so many more right-wing libertarians seem to have an issue with that idea when Ron Paul is one of the first people I learned that from. I mean, he was always working with Dennis Kucinich and um, there was even, the, I remember when Dennis Kucinich was running for president, there was an idea floated that Ron Paul should be his VP pick and he wasn't against yes. it, <laughs> you know, and yeah. Yeah. Uh, when uh, Ron Paul had Tulsi Gabbard on his show, he was talking about how progressives are the obvious ally of libertarians where we have uh, crossover. And what he would say is, you know, there, there's this stupid idea that we all need to be moderates, that we all need to just kind of have this milk toast middle of the line approach. And that, that's stupid. That's not what that you don't get anything done that way. What you do is you stay principled, you, stand for what you believe in. And then if someone happens to agree with you on something, you both work together and get it done. And that's, uh, you know, Ron Paul's the guy I originally learned that from. So it's just funny to see a lot of Ron Paul fans just be against that idea. I, I don't get it. Yeah. You know, and, and that's a good point. I, I, I will often, um, you know, people talk about, oh, you libertarians, you want to pull people off of welfare and, 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 and you know, cut off NPR and, and do all this stuff. And I quote Ron Paul on that all the time. Ron Paul says, you know, people have paid into it, like Social Security and, you know, those kinds of programs. Ron right. Paul says people have paid their whole life into the Social Security system. It would be a fraud for us to just step in and yank that away. So what do we do? We create an incremental program where your teenagers of today can maybe start at five or 10 percent and they can choose they can opt into a private program and then eventually they will get uh, they can get to a point where they aren't paying into that system anymore. And, and that system, whether it's in, in, in five years or 15 years, there's there's not really much debate that the Social Security system is going to uh, collapse. We don't have enough youth, youth going into the workforce to support it. We have so many reasons why that's going to collapse. And so it's. Well, what, what do libertarians have if not, uh, I told you so, you know, so we, we definitely, but yeah, that, that's the thing I love about Ron Paul is, is he really is about that coalition building. And, and my, my, I always keep that in my heart whenever I'm talking with people, because it does get easy to get frustrated. And I know there's a lot of, you know, I know there's a lot of people who are, are like collapsitarian, just let the world fall, don't. You know, think about the collapsitarian thing that I, I, I can't take that path because I have seen, I have seen antidotes successfully applied to the political system. If I ha if I hadn't seen any, I, I understand, I'd probably be pretty frustrated as well, but I've yeah. seen antidotes applied. I have felt the success of statewide campaigns. I have seen, I've knocked door to door and had local candidates that have won. And the more we do that kind of activity together, the better it's going to be. And I'll, and I'll say one other thing. I had, 
this the collapse of, like we today you can go onto Twitter, you can go into these places and you can see the full the full court push of, you know, don't vote, screw those libertarians, right. libertarian, yada yada. That's that's you know, and that's fine. You're welcome to do whatever you want, folks. That's totally fine. But Gary Johnson is a prime example of why that attitude, <laughs> your attitude, people, uh, is is not helping the situation. The debates that used to be run by the League of Women Voters, who would have all the candidates on, the League of Women Voters would have the Reform Party, Ross Perot, you know, they would have the independents on. And uh, actually, I, I, prior to Ross Perot, that's when the separation happened. But, you know, the, the League of Women Voters would have on all the independents, state offices for Senate race, they would have everyone on there. The Republicans and Democrats said, okay, we're successfully gerrymandering ballot access. We're now going to gerrymander debate access, and we're going to start raising the bar. We're only going to debate people who meet this threshold. And so, and yeah, we're going to keep calling, uh, calling this, uh, you know, democracy. So, so the, the League of Women Voters gets pushed out of the process. The Democrats and Republicans take over the process, and they keep raising that bar. And you know, Ross Perot was the last one who was really able to get on the debate stage in a presidential debate. And then they raised it to 13%. They raised it to 15%. And Gary Johnson, on multiple of his two occasions, two big runs, he was just two points, two percentage points away from getting on that debate stage. And how do I think that if Gary Johnson got on the debate stage that he would have won? No, probably not. I'm you know, just being realistic. But at the very least, we're doing our part to speak to those who have access to our war chest. We're talking to the people who send our soldiers into war. We are talking to those people. Even if you decide, hey, I'm not a voter. I don't believe in voting because you're voting for your enslavement. Okay, well... Personally, I'd love to have a debate about that. Um, but the enslavement's happening whether we vote or not. And even if you decide not to vote, stand up pre previous to the debates and let the media know by retweeting, by sharing, by answering that phone and saying, yeah, I'm going to vote for the libertarian. Because even if in deep in your heart of hearts, you think, no, I'm not going to vote libertarian because I don't believe in voting for my own enslavement. Don't let the media know that. Don't let the Republicans and Democrats know in this, if you believe in market competition at all, and, and you're going to sleep and saying, oh, I'm, I'm not even gonna let the Democrats and Republicans know that I'm interested. Like fake it till you make it, you know? Uh, having having a little bit of, of fire in your belly to say, I'm not gonna allow this, this two-party duopoly to think they have easy access to the next election. And so play a little charade instead of instead of harping on libertarians who are actually getting out there and putting their name on the ballot, maybe harp on the other politicians and let them see that there is actual support for these positions. And if you ultimately decide it's not worth it for you to vote for a libertarian, fine, that's that's it's your call, totally your call. But at the very least, don't let the media know that keep that close to your heart you know yeah yeah i mean 
it's just applying capitalism to the political system. Thank you. Um, I mean, I do get sick of people saying more options would not improve anything. I just don't think that's true. I mean, what other area of any market economy is that true? Where <laughs> more options right. something better? Right, right. Um, well, yeah, I, mean, I, I mean, even if like, I mean, even the Green Party can make the Democrat Party better on some things. It'll make it worse on some things, too, but it'll make yeah. it better in some areas. Um, and even if the Libertarian candidate can't win, in my mind, playing that spoiler role is rather important. It's actually maybe more effective than winning if you can, um, you know, like Shane Hazel's race. I do not think he's going to win that. But he can really force the Republicans to pander to the libertarians, which yeah. he has. I mean, we've had Marjorie Taylor Greene saying that Republicans need to listen to libertarians if they want to win. And that's why they lost last time. That's a huge Absolutely. deal. I mean, <laughs> and what's so annoying is seeing some paleo libertarians get angry that libertarians are getting in the middle and causing this to happen. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You should be hundred percent behind what Marjorie Taylor Greene is saying that they need to listen to us if they want to win. That's what we want. That's the only way, unless like the free state project really takes off and we get a majority, a majority libertarian eventually in New Hampshire, every state libertarians are not going to be a majority. They're always going to be a minority for the foreseeable future. So all that they really can do is leverage what power they have to make the two parties better unless there is some sort of winnable race. But I think that in those races where they can't win and they can really leverage their power, that's not something to throw away and consider useless. I mean, you can do quite a bit. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Um, and I think the thing to consider is this. There is There are probably half a dozen websites that do congressional uh, vote reviews. Uh, one of them, I think, is the Heritage Foundation. There's a there's a series of of websites where they basically they go through and they rate the all the elected congressmen and senators, and they rank rank their votes in relation to the support for the Constitution. There's that buzzword again. Get to the whole thing about the Constitution. Uh, they rank. So so we in Utah we have can we have uh, senators and congressmen who have been elected. Red state. This is a red state, and these congressmen have been elected and have voted more with Nancy Pelosi than in alignment with the Constitution. And so you, people who are constantly harping on why would you support a libertarian over uh, a, a, a Republican, I just look, I just point out their vote record and say, I, I'm, let's, can we agree to ignore the letter next to a candidate's name? and look at their voting record. Because if they vote with Nancy Pelosi, or if they vote with, you know, that was what, the biggest critique of Mike Lee was that for the last several years with Trump, he was going more leaning towards Trump and less towards supporting like constitutional libertarian positions. So this is something that, that if that whole plan with Mike Lee were to move forward, I would definitely want to have a sit down uh, with the man and ask him about his plans for libertarianism in the future, even if it's sure. small libertarianism. But yes, you know, that that is that is a key thing. We have to look at at how that is playing out. Yeah. So I know this was something you wanted to talk about, and it's uh, actually become relevant in the liberty circle. So James Lindsay, who's not 
I would not say a libertarian, but definitely very uh, closely aligned in a lot of ways, cares yeah. about life, liberty, property, pursuit of happiness. Uh, he has created a huge stir uh, with the Christians in the conservative movement and in the liberty movement to some extent. Um, and there have been some statements from conservative people saying that atheists have absolutely no place in a serious conservative movement. And then he shot back at them and it just escalated into a bunch of craziness. But uh, the religion thing has always been a point of contention for some reason. And I don't I don't remember it being that way, like in the Ron Paul movement. I mean, I wasn't super connected to that. I was still not a libertarian at that point and kind of young, but it seemed like something that almost never came up. And the same, frankly, with the Gary Johnson campaign, I don't remember religion ever being this big dividing line, but for some reason it seems to be now, like it's becoming a litmus test. Um, I think a little more on the Christian side, like if you're an atheist, then you can't really you know, push for liberty and you don't really have any ground to stand on. And then there's some from the atheist side kind of taking shots at Christians. But I find this all very counterproductive and stupid. Like, I mean, I I wish we could get back to a place where this is what I wanted to argue about. Like, I, I wish that we lived in a society where the most interesting thing is discussing what happens to us after we die. But frankly, we're not there right now. Like, I mean, there are way more pressing issues to me. I don't really care what you believe happens to anyone after they die. I don't care if you think horrible things are going to happen to me because I don't believe the right things after I die. I just care about working to undo this tyranny that is over us in this life that we do know we have and we don't know if we have anything else. Um, but I know this was a subject you wanted to talk about a little bit. So I was just wondering what your thoughts are. Yeah, it's definitely something that requires some a, a focus and attention because of not just with uh, with james lindsay a uh, great interview by the way with him that you had but yeah it, it is it is something that i think needs to be uh taken out of the closet uh or, or maybe returned to the closet uh yeah return the, to the, the closet. Issue is, <laughs> the, the, the issue is that from from a political perspective and you know, I, I, you mentioned like, was it there with the Ron Paul movement? Was it there with the other? There, the, there's always been a, um, you know, there's a. You remember the, there's a little Hank Williams song, you know, "Mind Your Own Business," and the the original concept, the, the original idea of being an American was that you you mind your own business, you take care of your own thing, and people had a lot of pride, and people didn't want to go out there and and speak to uh you know speak their values out in public so they would in private they would have these political session people that's why a lot of people a lot of these gotcha moments for politicians over the past few decades have been people sneaking in cameras to these events and recording uh people giving their their real you know like hillary clinton giving her real uh opinion about something and then out in public she gives a totally different opinion that kind of hypocrisy or, or that kind of two-faced situation unfortunately also happened in the conservative and Republican scenario in, in, in places where people would go to a meeting with a, a congressman or a senator. As I said, my dad used to go knock on doors for these politicians, Republicans, and they would have their, you know, their sessions with the big donors and they would talk about, yeah, we got to, you got to protect this and you got to take care of that. And, and, and 
you know, ab abortion is an example of that where they where they have it's it's one of those pivotal things that people will like a lot of people will not support libertarians uh, because they think that libertarians are all pro-choice. Um, ironically, in Utah, 75% uh, of libertarians I know are are not pro-choice. They're 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 they oppose abortion. They just don't want the state involved in it. But that religious thing has right. always been something that's that's been part of that fabric in the political system. It's just stayed again. It's been something that people have kept in their pocket. They've kept hidden away, and so. Um, more recently, it's easier now where people, again, are, are now having to, to have a consistent face. They don't know when they're being recorded. They don't know when, when what they say is going to come out. And so they're, they're much more consistent now. And I think that's why we now see more of the religious perspective coming through. And then also social media has shifted. If you go back to, you know, what was social media when it first started? It was, you know, staying in touch with college classmates and staying in touch with family across states and, and those kinds of things but it's grown into the kind of thing where and maybe devolved is the right word but social media has devolved into what it is today and it's not done devolving by the way there's still a long way down to go and and that has peeled back some of the layers of protection that people use to guard these positions with and so abortion you know, those kinds of things, despite the fact that fixing education, fixing the economy, strengthening families, strengthening the, 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 the fabric of our society with uh, economic resources, better education and those kinds of things would improve, would reduce the number of abortions that are out there. So in other words, a libertarian Utah, a libertarian America would see a reduction in abortions because you wouldn't have fathers in jail for nonviolent crimes. You wouldn't have uh, this economic depravity for paying for all of the war machine and the political industrial complex. And so being able to, to keep those resources at home, being able to have good education, those kinds of things are what breed a stronger community. And, you know, if you believe that it takes a village, then it certainly doesn't take a village deprived of all of its resources to raise a child. And that, that's proven not to be true. So so we've got to keep these resources close. So, yeah. So uh, religion, uh, you know, I, I think the thing, you know, the thing I really wanted to kind of hit on with you in this session was, um, you know, and maybe to, to answer the question about should religion and politics sort of be be uh, divorced or you know i'm i mean obviously your religion is going to affect your politics but right um taking the religiousness out of it so like i mean if you are religious maybe you'll be pro-life but you know to um to make the religion um, the qualifying factor for why you think that, you know, so if you're, I mean, if you're pro-life, that's like a hundred percent fine. Or if you're not or whatever, I mean, and your religiousness or lack of religiousness will affect that, but trying to use your religion as a justification for forcing other people to accept the same view as I think where it, where it differentiates. Or, I mean, what we're seeing is, um, you know, there's a lot of people who are in the liberty movement who think that, you know, we need we need we need a religious 
overtone to the liberty movement and that that being gone is what is leading to the degradation of society where that's just not what i heard ron paul say at all and ron paul is probably the most responsible for bringing a lot of religious people into the liberty movement because historically it's actually been pretty atheist like ayn rand uh rothbard you know even hans hermann hoppe you know all atheists Ron Paul probably brought most of the religious people into the movement, but he himself was defending the idea of putting, you know, of letting people put mosques up near ground zero because he believed in property rights first and the ownership of that, you know, land and those buildings would not be a government issue. So he put, um, he put social issues behind you know, removing tyranny of government policies. And I'm not, I'm seeing like a, I'm seeing people take it to the next level of, you know, the problem is that we don't have prayer in schools anymore. The problem is that we don't have these fundamental religious roots anymore. That's what's, you know, bringing all this hell upon us where I never heard Ron Paul talk like that. And it's, um, I don't know that that's where a lot of the friction is coming these days, I'd say. Yeah, I think I think you're right about that. Um, if you look at and and to sort of what I was saying earlier about how a lot of like religion has always been there, but it's been buried in in the fabric of the political movement. And the evidence for that, I would say, is how uh, American ha- how the Republicans have uh, well, I guess Democrats have done it as well. But the support for uh, Israel is one example of that, where sure. where the policy is. You hear at uh, CPAC and you hear at a lot of those uh, conservative events where, um, um, you know, people have really talked about their they've that's where a lot of the earlier versions where I heard people saying we need to support Israel because the Bible, uh, you know, the Bible says we need to do so. And so for me, that that's an example of where that fabric has always been a part of the the and I can't say the conservative movement because obviously Democrats have also been very supportive, and you know and and the thing I really uh, that kind of comes to mind is I had a we it, the Libertarian Party of Washington State we had a, uh, a we actually had a rabbi from from Israel come and talk, and and his whole perspective was exactly about what Ron Paul was saying. He said Israel is strong enough to support itself financially. Right. We don't need American dollars. And by taking those American dollars, you know, the, it is the servant that takes the money. And and by if we were to to stop taking the American dollars, we would be able to act as we choose against our enemies and so forth and so on. So, you know, it's it isn't. Uh, but but again, people have this determined uh, factor that they want their their views to be uh, it's the misunderstanding of the term democracy you know if 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 65 percent of americans believe such and such well then that means the government should do such and such and and religion is one of those things that has has we've we've allowed ourselves to be educated into the wrong way of thinking about the american government and you know you definitely can blame the education system that's why that needs to be corrected but it is it is that right now that we're contending with. So how, so maybe how do you unring that bell? Maybe is the question. How do you how do you decouple the religious push? <laughs> Strangely enough, um, 
the Mormon religion has a very fascinating uh, story in its uh, in, in its uh, if you if you go to a Mormon church, you will or the Church of Latter Day Saints, you would hear about the war in heaven. And if you're not familiar with it, I'll just give you a little brief. Um, the war in heaven was a process where the devil said, "We're going to," you know, it was like this big meeting before humans were coming down to earth. It was the pre-existence, right? And the devil said, "Hey, I've got a plan." I've got the best plan for us. Huge, wonderful plan. I don't, I'm not a good Trump imitator, but uh, I've got this great plan and we're going to go to earth and we're going to have rules and order and police and we're going to make everyone be good. And so we'll have a good planet because we're forcing everyone to be good. And then Jesus came along and said, no, I have a better plan. We're going to go down to earth and we're going to have free agency. And by having this free agency, yeah, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to make wrong choices. But in choosing, I know that you will learn and you will grow. And that will make a beautiful society. And so the Mormon religion has that as part of its story, its foundation when you're you're growing up, if you grow up in the LDS church. And, and, and like, what better argument could you have for... A, a libertarian form of government to say, you know, yeah, you're you're going to be free to choose, and you're going to make mistakes. You're going to stub your toes along the way and scrape your knees, and and but that is the process through which we're, you're going to be a robust individual with with a strong community, and we'll all learn live together, and it'll be harmony, and it'll be good harmony voluntarily. Um, now, of course, different religions have different takes on that perspective. Um, you know, if, if some say that what libertarians should do is if you're appealing to, you know, people who are Christian, you talk about, you know, Jesus going into the temple and attacking the money changers. That's a good end the fed argument. Um, (laughs) you know, it's, it's, you know, we definitely, I don't want to squelch the fire of anyone who is seeking to, to build a more libertarian society. Um, so I definitely don't want to, to push anyone away and, and I want to hear their perspectives again. I, I would, I would say that if we can have that conversation, by the way, I'm so happy with your podcast and how it's, how it's exploded and, and, and grown. But I mean, that's the kind of thing we need. We need to have these conversations where we have four or five people who have the conversation about, you know, abortion and about you know, Israel and from the religious perspective, not just from the policy perspective. And, you know, because again, I think the, the, the truth of the matter is, is that finding, uh, finding out why people choose to have an abortion, finding those reasons is the same with the drug war. You know, uh, I don't, I'm trying to not segue too much, but you know, the drug war is a great example of a single policy that has cancerous, roots going into so many areas the immigration problem that we see is hugely influenced by the drug war we've got these we've got these enormous wicked cartels chopping people's heads off you do not want to look at the newspapers the news media from mexico and 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 from south america you do not want to look at the violence that these these cartels do against regular citizens like students who protest 
the bus disappears. You know, there's there are journalists who disappear in Mexico uh, who report on the cartels. And that's because these these guys make billions of dollars and, you know, we fund their cartels through our drug war. And even if you just want to point out that what we're doing is not working, you'd be correct. And, and by ending it, you would end a lot of those harms. The border crisis is involved with a large number of people who are running away from those cartels because the cartels, they get all this money, they buy off their state and, and local police, and they can do whatever they want, uh, that no one will touch them. So this violence occurs all around these communities and families are like, I, I love my children. I don't want them to be killed. They're going to, you know, I, I can't handle this. And so they, they either send their children or they come with their children and they seek refuge here in America. You know, they want to come here and chase the tomato and, 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 and make a few dollars. And instead of having like an easy migrant worker program, we, we, people have to come through very harrowing processes. So all of our policies, especially those that are designed at a moralistic position, like the drug, you know, don't do drugs, folks, um, you know, just say no. Th these moralistic positions are harming us drastically. And so that's what the Christians need to understand, is that your, your adamance to be your brother's keeper has, while also refusing to be your brother's keeper, is, is what is causing a lot of this, this hardship. And and as, as I mentioned, you, you had a great tweet the other day about ending all of uh, ending all of these these policies. And I said, you know, that would save us tens of billions of dollars. The, the, the libertarians are not a third way to run the government. The libertarians right. are the ones who are pulling the plug and draining this. I almost said swamp. Uh, <laughs> libertarians well, are the ones who are pulling the plug and saying, stop all this wasteful spending. Stop taking this income tax. Leave that with the people. If you look around, I, I suggest to people, look around your neighborhood and imagine a 20 or 30% increase in the economic power around you. Now think about your favorite, this is a Harry Brown line, by the way. Think about your favorite government program. And if you had to give up your favorite government program in order to get rid of the 87 bad government programs, would you be willing to do that? Find a way to have NPR funded by local donors instead of going through the state. You know, uh, right now people talk about welfare as one of the most critical things we have in America. The government takes 90 cents of every dollar that we pay for welfare. So when you think, oh, I'm helping out the poor, I'm, I'm helping people out who need food, the, the government is this big fat middleman that takes 90% of that energy, that fiscal energy, and and they they pocket that. That's their jobs program. It's their jobs. It's their job to take all this money from us instead of us having it get its full fiscal value. And, you know, there there are issues with the homeless. There are issues with the poor. Um, but again, you know, imagine for all a 20 or 30 percent increase in the economic strength in, in your community. You know, that is huge. We yeah, haven't totally done agnosticism, but I, I, I don't want to take too much of your time. Oh, that's fine. Um... Yeah, I mean, I was a uh, I was a foreman on a job uh, doing power lines for a while back in New Hampshire, and um, sometimes I'd have you know five or six people working under me, and 
as long as they got the job done and they got it done right and they did it safely, they did not have to do it my way. If they had a different approach, but we ended up at the same, you know, as long as it was done in a timely fashion, done well and done safely, that's all that mattered. So I feel like people should start taking that approach with religion when it comes to libertarianism. You know, like if you arrive at libertarianism through a religious philosophy because you think you're a steward of the earth um, and you get your ideas of self-ownership through biblical terms, fine. If you don't, if you get it through natural law and, you know, some Darwinistic approach, cool. I don't care. Like as long as we're all libertarians, we've all arrived at the same destination logically. I don't really care how you got there as long as we're all working toward the same thing. But uh, thanks for joining me tonight, Newt. Where can uh, people keep up with what you're doing? And is there anything else you want to plug? Yeah, um, I definitely want to. I, uh, I talked to Scott Horton earlier today, told him about, uh, went over the agenda for for the event coming up. And uh, uh, I definitely recommend that people check that uh, check that link out uh, down. I'm sure you'll have that in the in the description. Um, I am Canutatious on uh, the Twitter and I'm happy to... Uh, happy to chat with anyone about what we can do to move this forward. Um, you know, and we, we, there's a lot of opportunity right now. It, it, uh, sometimes it can get frustrating, but there's a lot of opportunity and you just gotta, you know, choose to choose to invest some of your energy in, in these good things moving forward. And I think, I think we're going to see a lot more success this year and definitely that's going to lead to more success in 2024. Uh, yeah, follow me at Canutatious and uh, chat anytime. I'm happy to um, move forward, work with anyone to move this forward. All right, there you go, guys. Make sure you go follow him. The link should be in the description. Um, I should be going live on Saturday doing a capitalist communion, which is where there's uh, me and another atheist talking with two Christian libertarians. And uh, like Scott, uh, like uh, Newt said, that's a great... Um, you know, that, that, those are conversations we should be having. We shouldn't be afraid of them. I just hate to see them become divisive. Yeah. Um, but check in for that. And then on Sunday, if everything goes well, uh, we will be having the Four Horsemen. And uh, we're working on a guest right now. I'm not sure it's going to pan out. But if that one doesn't pan out, I got a whole lineup of reserves. So thank you for watching. Uh, follow me on Odyssey, please, uh, if you're watching this on YouTube. Because who knows how long I'll be here. And I will catch you guys on the next stream.